On this week's Brett the Process podcast, Rufus and I welcome in a special guest, a guest that is near and dear to our hearts, who we want to celebrate with. It's our bearded friend, Preston Johnson, who is knee-deep in Diet Dr. Peppers celebrating the Los Angeles Dodgers Super Bowl win. Uh, We take a trip through college, a trip to the NFL, and we talk a lot about whether Blake Snell should have been left in and whether Blake Snell blowing that entire game, i.e. Kevin Cash blowing it, was the death of analytics. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage and sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where we're on a tight schedule because Rufus has a fucking date so that's that's where we're at right now wait the only way the schedule is tight is if we're going to take an hour and 15 rufus people love to hear us talk specifically me interrupting you and cheetah for that matter cheetah's joining us our bearded friend as we call him and um rufus has a a date night in las vegas he went to the circa COVID, covid party last night uh, super spreader event. Were there a lot of people wearing masks at that event, Rufus? Everybody was wearing masks. That's not what I've seen from social media. So when you take a picture, you take off the mask, though. Is that a prerequisite? I think. I don't know. Okay. So I mean, people really were wearing like, masks? Everybody had their temperature taken when they came in. I mean, obviously, oh. that doesn't help. Well, that's, that's good to know. Justin Turner approved. Yeah, what, what happened there? He got pulled in the eighth. First off, exactly Rufus. what you just said. <laughs> Take off the mask for pictures and then put it back on, but who cares? You're just First off, let's congratulate Cheetah. He's actually a Dodgers fan who unfortunately had a series bet on the Rays. But, <laughs> yes. but sometimes, like, were you happy to lose that bet? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest because a lot of the times nowadays I just want to win money, but – uh, I this one meant a lot more than any of the Lakers championships because the Dodgers have never won a World Series in my lifetime. Uh, well, I was born that year, so I guess I just don't remember it in 1988. So for me, it was essentially like a first-time thing. And so, uh, yeah, it feels good, man. The Lakers won a couple weeks ago. It's like I kind of grew up with a few of those. So uh, that sounds really like it's like arrogant. Kind of hard. But, yeah. It's kind of hard to think about the Dodgers as having a championship drought. Like when I went on social media and like looked at all my friends that were celebrating, like uh-huh. the same way I would have celebrated this the when the Red Sox won for the first time in whatever two thousand four, you know, I, there was like legit. And then I, the the concept of it being a drought is so crazy just because their teams have been so good over exactly. the last few years. And I think it compounded the fact that in two thousand seventeen they go to Game Seven, they lose that one to the Astros, and then a few years later it's like, oh well, the Astros cheated and they got caught. And so as Dodger fans, I was like, man, if we don't actually get one with this group of guys, like it's going to really hurt because we lost that one that who knows if things had played out differently there, if they weren't cheating, maybe you win in seven, you know, seven games or less. So yeah, it's good to just get it. And I'm happy but for this Kershaw group of guys is kind of like a very unfair thing because the addition of Mookie is huge. Right. And you're going to have him Definitely. for 10 years or something like that. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know if I've seen a player. So this is like the thing with baseball in general compared to other sports and just the general audience and general media and baseball is dying. I don't know if I've – I didn't appreciate what Mookie Betts was prior because I didn't watch a ton of baseball outside of the playoffs other than Dodgers games. And I haven't seen a player bring more joy and just like a positive energy and attitude to the game in a long time than Mookie Betts. So I think like he's the face, not only of your world series champs and just being in LA for the next decade, but I think he's the guy, you know, like Trout's probably the best player in baseball, but he's never really been the guy that wants to be front facing for the league. And I think it's Mookie now. I just, I just think he has this joy and passion about the game that, you know, kids again can kind of latch onto and at least have someone that they look up to. Well, I mean, he's like the con the consistent example of like, you know, expected run value added or run prevention in ways that you can't completely measure. I mean, you can measure base running, but like some of those base running things that he did were insane, right? Scoring in those two situations from third from on third. ground outs. You know, the, the, the last one last night, that was insane because it wasn't even close. And that was like a play that like typically most players will get thrown out pretty easily. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think it's just part of the like – like he's a gamer, right? He's a baller. He just, he's playing, trying to like abstract every ounce of, you know, EV, so to speak. Uh, and if it's getting a little bit of an extra lead and just making sure he's focused on not getting picked off third, but like those hits to those fires at first base, when he was on third base, like they were bang, bang plays right thrown to the catcher in pretty good spots. And he was just safe both times. No, so uh, so yeah. you just said something that's very interesting and it'll segue into the conversation that I think we all want to have which is around the concept of analytics, which is getting a shitty name right now based on what Kevin uh -huh. Cash decided to do. But Mookie, what you said is he's a positive EV guy, meaning he's trying to gain positive EV at every turn, right? Which, which to me is the definition of analytics. As a card counter, right, the classic example is we have a tiny edge on every hand we play or whatever. And over time, if we play enough hands, then we'll, we'll win, right? Like we get to act, recognize that small edge. And that's the nature of analytics. Flip it to Kevin Cash with the decision in the sixth inning where Snell has been basically lights out. He's been lights out all series. He gives up a single with one out, right? In the, uh, sixth inning the bottom of the sixth mm -hmm. inning he's thrown 71 pitches he's about to face the top of the order for the third time Kevin Cash takes him out for Nick Anderson what say both of you guys about the decision Rufus you can take it first I'm curious what you and everyone at the Circa event kind of thought about that as oh. you saw it unfold I, I actually didn't really see it unfold you didn't see it okay. no, I wasn't watching the game but I, I heard about it afterwards it seems like I mean Way to come with a hot take, Rufus. <laughs> we know that pitchers get worse the more times they face hitters. That's, but also, I mean, I feel like regardless of whether it's the right or wrong decision. Did you already go to dinner and we're not aware of it? No. Regardless if it's the right the or wrong. Energy in answering this question is, is insane right now. You but, realize, like, this is a pretty big deal for analytics. We're getting a huge black mark because the decision Cash made. Well, right, I mean, and all you've got no, no. it to say is the, we're getting a black mark because the decision didn't pay off. We're judging well, it that's by fine, but that's yeah, not that's not un, right? that's not unusual, right? That's the way. Like I saw Rob Pizzola tweet that out, and as much as I like Rob and think he's brilliant and a great better, that notion of results-based analysis has been happening forever, right? Yeah. 
the, the, this idea of, of the decision that was made, I think is fascinating. And I think it highlights a lot of what people don't really understand about analytics and understand how to use analytics. So I don't know the numbers, um, but I would guess that on the margin, it wasn't a, a huge gain or loss. Well, I think the problem is, and, and Cheetah, I know you have a take on this. And so I'll, I'll, Rufus and I will like uh, debate this as ignoramuses for a second, and then we'll let you come in. Sure. But um, the, 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 the premise behind this to me is that there's a lot of unknown in terms of modeling. So the knowns, let's think about the knowns. The knowns are, you know, that every time Snell goes through that, every time any pitcher, sorry, any blind pitcher goes through an order, his, his basically weighted OB, weighted on base, whatever the metric we use these days, goes down significantly, right? Each time through. It's, and so, so that's a fact. That's analytics, right? But what you don't, and then you obviously know what Nick Anderson is and what he's generally been throughout his career, throughout the season, whatever, right? But then there's all these tough parts of this, which is when uh, Snell is dealing as he has that game, how much recency should you put into his performance that makes it part of your evaluation, right? And so what I think about this is that this is not a cut and dry decision by any means. It's not a good decision or a bad decision. It's a difficult decision where you have very incomplete information to make that decision from an analytical standpoint. Rufus, Cheetah, anything? If Rufus has any last thoughts, he can go and then I can, I can share I, I want, mine. I want to hear Preston's take. All right. So I think the, we'll start with Jeff's just pointing out that it's fascinating because this really is the premise of people not understanding the analytical side of really anything. And I've, and I've been a part of it for the last few years because like just with like on Facebook, you have friends in LA that are fire Roberts when they lose the world series to the Astros the next year, they lose it to the Red Sox fire Roberts. And to, for starters, they don't even realize that this day and age, the managers are paid to do whatever the front office says because the front office is making the decisions and they're generally going to be analytically driven decisions. And so then you get to this point. Can, I, can I stop you for one sec, Preston? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, if that's the case, why does Dusty leave Granky in in that situation when he did? Was that just like Dusty being Dusty and being like, fuck Jeff Lunau kind of there's thing? There's a chance, or? yeah. And there's a chance that, uh, you know, Houston wasn't just like, I mean, what year was that? It was in 2017? No, this is the most recent. This, Are you talking this about this year? this year? Okay. This year in that game, you, I, I'm trying to remember the exact situation. I don't recall it off the top I think of I had had a bet on Houston that game, and I maybe had a bet on the under, and I wanted them for sure to take Greinke out, right? And like, because like, it was a classic case of you have starters, you have relievers waiting, why wouldn't you do it? I think part, part of it is probably that Houston's bullpen isn't necessarily close to where the Rays and Dodgers That's bullpen have been all year. But uh, it's also different when you can kind of sense it coming. Like even the other night, all my Dodgers friends were upset that they pulled Kershaw, even though he'd given up two runs and a few shots to the warning track. Um, but he was only at 85 pitches and they put in Dustin May and he ends up striking him out and they get out of the jam. But like they were upset that they pulled Kershaw because he was only at 85 pitches. And they're the same guys that complained. This is what I was kind of getting at every year that Dave Roberts would leave Kershaw in too long, or I can't believe he started you Darvish in game seven. And it's like, okay. And then he finally makes a decision the other way, you know, and Kershaw is about to hit the order for the third time. 
and they're still upset. So I don't think you can really make anyone happy. But for what happened last night in Kevin Cash, I feel terrible for him because I think this is ultimately like kind of the perfect practice of process, process versus results. And all, I was in these threads and so many people are just going bananas. Like, I can't believe Cash did this. I can't believe doing it. And I found myself obviously defending the Rays and what Cash did. And ultimately it comes down to this. Like, if you enter that game six with a game plan or a process is like, hey, we're not going to let Blake – see the order for the third time no matter what no matter how well he's pitching if it's a perffect game or if it's a two hitter which is what it was you're out when it's the third time through I think the numbers are like the first time through the order Blake Snell he, batters hit 140 by the time it's the third time through they hit 307 and it was the highest in the majors this season of every any starter that had pitched at least 12 starts in a shortened season so smaller sample but he led the majors and you know and I guess it should have been the worst in the majors, I should put it. And so when you look at some of those numbers, it's like, okay, this makes sense. That's going to be their game plan going in. But are you supposed to deviate from it when a guy is in God mode and outside of two pitches and people are saying like, when you see it, you have to be like observatory and be like, you have to make those decisions or, you know, it's a field game or those types of comments are really interesting. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, you're right. Snow was pitching really well. And it's like, you know, he probably would have pitched better had you left him in. And the closest example we have to, was he really going to pitch better this time because he had looked better through the first few innings than the data says the third time through the order is game two. I believe he had a no hitter going into the fifth and he gave up a couple of runs. The Dodgers tagged him and he didn't even finish the inning. So this was just a few days ago. Snow was pitching just as lights out, if not better. He had a no hitter. He didn't get as many strikeouts, but it was a very comparable. And the only comparable, I guess, historic data we have is going against the Dodgers lineup the third time through. He actually gave up two runs that inning. They pull him. Uh, the Dodgers ended up scoring four, but they lost the game anyways because they gave up six. So oh. it didn't really – it wasn't really a story. But uh, kind of just like circling back to all of this and uh, what I think is interesting about it just as a whole is – whether it be betting or just process in general is, you know, can you really fault cash? Like all season, they've made evidence-based decisions on what works. And it's their bullpen that's really strong. It's minimizing the third time to the order stuff with Blake Snell. It's gotten you to the World Series in game six. Like, how can you be upset at this guy for making a one last decision in a really high leverage spot? And the last thing I'll add, I want to give a shout out to uh, Frank Brank on Twitter. I think this is really interesting because he pointed this out and it merges this analytical mind, which he has, and the observatory mind because he pitched through college. He was a pitcher. And this is everyone who's like, well, anyone that was watching knows Snell was in God mode. Like nothing would have happened. You know, like you got to leave him in there. These are a couple of things that he observed as a pitcher who's looking more specifically at different things. People don't realize, for example, that Snell was pitching. His average fastball velocity was between 97 and 98 until four batters prior to when he was pulled. It dropped to 94. All right. And the two batters prior, A.J. Pollock, he left a curve that hung that Pollock just missed but could have absolutely crushed. And then the next batter uh, was Barnes. He left a slider, just hung a slider, and that's the one he got the hit off of. And so people that are saying, well, if you were watching, you know Snow was lights out, you have to leave him in. Well, if you were really watching, you know his fastball velocity was down four miles an hour from four batters ago. He just hung two pitches that got hit. One of them was for an out, one was for a single. And now you're going up against a third you know, time through the order, which all the stats say Snell is going to be a lot worse through that third time. So it was Mookie Betts of all people. Uh, so I defend it for sure. I just decided I have to go with it. And it worked out as a Dodgers fan. I think the decision that everyone wants to talk about now, after you think through it is, do you pitch Nick Anderson there who'd been just crushing souls all year until about two weeks ago, something, you know, he just fell apart. And I think it was seven straight appearances. That he's given up a run now, despite just being, you know, perfect essentially for 65 games prior. 
Well, so your point is, should they have brought Fairbanks in there? Or yeah, like maybe Castillo's? that's the decision that you question more so than putting it. Well, around. so I, th- I think one of the interesting things too that I think may have played into Cash's decision was the whole like three batters thing, which is essentially that he's thinking to himself like, okay, I get to bring Anderson for in for righty, lefty, righty potentially now, whereas if I wait, then I'm kind of screwed because I got to bring in. I have to bring him in against a left. You know what I mean? It was like a weird situation. Um, but I think what you said, which I didn't know that Snell had that big of a disparity personally, which also brings up like a very interesting point again, which is like when you evaluate these decisions, is it better to look at the individual's numbers or like a holistic number where an individual has a smaller sample size? And, you know, like, again, like it's just, I think it's like a, I think it's a harder decision. I think Cash went in there with a process, like you said, that he'd gone through all year, that had worked all year. And the idea that he should deviate based on like whatever, it doesn't like the, the, again, like the idea that we now can put relievers in earlier to avoid the third time through the order for pitchers. I think that's something inarguable. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, Jeff, to answer your question, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. It's not like everybody is going to be equally bad the third time through the order relative to where they began. It's almost like looking at platoon splits, right? I feel like if you had a prior, based on you know maybe a guy's number of pitches he throws or the way he kind of attacks batters, um, I think you'd expect uh, I think you'd expect some guys to I guess guys with more pitches in their arsenal to sort of degrade less, although there still is the fatigue factor too, but, but it's, it's, no, but those, you, I mean, this is something question. that you talk about. Rufus, that you, question. you look at the population variation and, 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 and sort of see what that actually looks like. I mean, I've done it. I, I haven't done it for this, but I've done it for like, that's how I estimate platoon splits. But you say this all the time, right? When you get a situation where you have, and platoon splits is like a, a fair one because you have science around it. But in general, there is that idea of, and in like one team that seems to like play better on the road versus the, you know what I mean? There's, there's all of these kind of situations where you can look at a holistic sample size, or you can look at an individual or a team or whatever. And I think in the platoon situation, you've done work and you know how to do that well. In this situation, when you evaluate like through the order, how many times, how much you would diminish if you were, working for an organization, let's say you were working for the Rays at this point, that, that is, that's a challenging question. I'm sure they've done this work and they figured it out. I don't, right? think it, I, don't, I don't think it's any different than looking at platoon splits, essentially. You, have, you can have priors based on, or you can basically see if there's anything that, influence it, is that influences this in general. As I said, like maybe a number of the types of pitches the guy throws or something like that. Just like for platoon splits, you look at you know, release point and if the guy's throwing more like sliders versus straighter pitches, fastballs and change-ups, um, you know, that's going to affect his platoon split. Like, and so, but then you also sort of see relative to that, like how is this guy actually done versus, um, and, and then you regress that back to the population sort of mean. So what that mean split is, or in this case, but the so, that a player so, degrades. But so, yeah, so I'm getting is that it's going to, it's going to regress very hard towards the population mean. Um, but so that, that was, I guarantee so, you Tampa has 
an analytics person that basically has a projection that says, okay, this I'm is sure they have many analytics yeah. people, but, the but they have people that I'm sure they have something that says this is what we expect Snell to be versus a righty and lefty the third time through the order. Well, so no, and, and last thing on this and let's move on to football, but, or move on to like, yeah, football. But what, what I find interesting about this is like, yes, I agree with you. Like there's ways to figure this out, but the reason the second time through the order or third time through the order is interesting is what, what, what Preston, you were saying ultimately in terms of Snell's degrading was more fatigue versus second or third time through the order. So there's these other factors that are correlated to second and third time through the order. And you would say, okay, well, he had only thrown 71 pitches. So theoretically, he hadn't thrown what we consider to be a number that you'd want to take him out in. Yet your like, uh, observational empirical evidence, Preston, would say that he was tiring, right? And it may be time to take him out, sort of irregardless of how many times through the order he had been. But maybe he was told before the game, look, you're not we're, – we're, I want you to go – throwing harder for all 71. I want you to, yeah. Right. You're not going – we're not going to get – you're not going to go the third time through the order. Basically, leave it all out there. Right? Because I feel yeah. like there is when – when relievers become starters or starters become relievers, you see changes in performance. Starters becoming relievers, they tend to, become, they, they tend to perform better. They can throw the ball harder. They could focus more on their best pitches. They're not saving things for the second or third time through the order um, and, and vice versa. And so it's only natural. I mean, you want him to be as much of pitching as much like a reliever as you, as you, as you can in this situation. Right. Yeah, I absolutely yes. think that's what they were doing. And, and then that's why you saw a drastic because everyone just refers to pitch count. So it's a good point Jeff made. This is all correlated, except when you look at pitch count, it's a lot different in game four of the regular season than game six of the World Series with your asses on the line, you know. And they probably I, – I don't pitch. But again, I could ask Frank, for example, and say, like, hey, if you're throwing, like, your absolute hardest and best – I mean, he K'd nine Dodgers in whatever, 15 outs. Like, he was just on fire. And if you're throwing your hardest and best stuff through 71 pitches, that's probably similar to – extending a 95 to 100 pitch game like you know the fourth week of this regular season or whatever it may be so I think that's definitely a good point and so everyone pointing to the pitch count doesn't necessarily you know matter in the end and I think you're right I mean the velocity dropping is a big 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 warning sign oh yeah yeah okay let's move on to football so um Preston and you're overcoming like on the brink of sort of suicide or <laughs> no no i'm not close to that yet okay, no good, no worries good. there yeah it's good. bad though it's bad but not that bad what do you attribute the badness to if any of you guys don't know preston had a terrible week last week um he's contemplating other things had thought about opening a retail store in san clemente for surfboards and now he's <laughs> um gonna go back to sports betting for one more week so what like how do you cope with something like that and do you adjust your process you know the best part of i've had two really bad weeks this college football season and the best part is both times by like saturday evening i'm like all right i'm done with this like i just gotta take some time away like i'm taking the week off and then i see all the numbers coming out and monday i'm looking at everything i'm like all right well and then i by wednesday i have 10 to 12 plays in action so every time i like feel like i just like what's the point like i'm getting like last week was my best uh as far as like CLV is concerned, like the closing line value relative to what you bet to where it closed, your expected ROI. It was my best of the season and just couldn't win. So um, it's frustrating, but then, you know, you get over it by the time you wake up the next day and uh, I'm surviving, have action again, 
this week, like you've seen, um, I think I'm up to like 10 or 11 plays. So similar range where it's about where I'll be, you know, at this point in the season. And we have week twos, so to speak, with uh, Mount West Conference and Big Ten play. Rufus, how about you? How did you do last week? Um, and like, how do you feel about this COVID season going forward? I was a small loser last week. I think maybe a unit and a half or two units, something like that. It's, uh, how do I feel about the, co- what did you say, the COVID season? Yeah, it's a, it's a COVID season going on right yeah. now. And like, there's a lot going on. And I know that you're not doing your typical process meeting. You have people helping you through understanding like what nuances and things that your actual model is not capturing, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so I mean, it's a I'm different playing. process than you've had before. So how does that, well, like, or... It's more an addition to what I already have. So it's like a layer on top that's saying... But you wouldn't have done this if COVID hadn't happened, would you have? Probably not. If I, if I was doing stuff at the roster level like I was last year, where I literally every week I'd be like, okay, this is the 2D peer. These are, like, I had grades on every player and basically it goes from there. But I'm not doing that. And so, yeah... It's, I'm being more selective. I feel like my volume is, is less than any other college football season. Um, in the Do you last. think that selectiveness is working? Because ultimately, one of the yeah. things I think that, that I loved about your approach always was the sort of stubbornness around antidotes and narratives and the idea that like the market generally tends to overreact to individual players or injuries broadly. So as you evaluate your process right now and how you've looked at the season, like so far, you're happy with it. You're going to continue doing the same thing and betting more selectively. Um, you know, I'm not happy with the outcomes, but I think the process is okay. And, and sort of the information I'm getting, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and saying, okay, do I think this is something that is not factored into my model? Or do I think this is, how much do I think this is worth? Um, for example, like FIU getting absolutely destroyed by an FCS team last week. Like, and, and, and I don't have the FCS teams graded out, but I can almost, I can look and see how much it changed like ESPN FBI's numbers or something like that, which has, which does account for the FCS teams. Um, so, you know, things like that. Um, but things like COVID and injuries, that's something I'm paying a lot of attention to. That's something that will, that that will definitely take me off of the game. All right. Well, let's let's do a little stroll through college. Um, Cheetah, I know you'd fired on a bunch of stuff. Rufus, are you, have you fired on a bunch of stuff also? Yeah, we did. We're we're firing early too. We're firing Mondays. You're not going to bet anything later in the week. Um, I always say I won't, and then I end up doing it. <laughs> Saturday morning comes along. Yeah. So what what do you what has popped out to you guys, Cheetah? Obviously, I know some of the stuff you're on. Rufus, there's some marquee games that are going on this week. Um, Actually, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on Coastal Carolina versus Georgia State. (laughs) With my Coastal Carolina futures to win the national championship, I hope that (laughs) – Oh, their quarterback's out out again officially, I think, as of this morning. What's that? McCall, their quarterback, is out officially again. I mean, the backup was more or less fine last game. But uh, anyway, I'm pretty sure he's out again. Georgia State feels like the Jets of college football to me the last few seasons. It's like I seem to be on them way, way. way so you're back. on Georgia State again this week, Rufus? Um, I'm not sure if we bet it. I, I don't see what's – I see it highlighted. Ooh, it looks like we got a little bit on it, not a lot. Yeah. What's the um, 
We got a little plus. It's down to like two, two and a half, I think. We got it at plus three and a half, so. Well, two and a half seems three and three and a half seems like good value. It does. Okay. Well, we'll jump through to some ones that um, I know that Cheetah has. Cheetah, you got the you have the Bearcats minus six and a half against Memphis. Rufus, where are you on that? Bearcats against Memphis. I think you would be the other way, I think. I make it minus five. Wait, wait. I make it minus five and a half. No play. Okay. This is, a, th- th- this is an interesting, like, so- sort of narrative one, but it's really combined with the fact. So Cincinnati last week against SMU, very similar type of offense, really strong offense as Memphis. Uh, they, like, just absolutely destroyed him. They held with 13 points. It's a Sonny Dykes offense. Shane Bouchelle, who's just been crushing now for a year and a half. Um, they held him to 75 yards rushing on 39 attempts, and Bouchelle threw 44 times for – 216 yards I believe like they just their yards per play was so low and Cincinnati beat them I think it was 42-13 final uh and Memphis is very similar and Memphis might run the ball a little bit more efficiently but uh Cincinnati I just upgraded quite a bit their defense it's their fourth in success rate in the country right now they're fourth in opponent yards per play um they I think they're just the real deal and their offense hasn't even really hit stride yet in my personal opinion and Memphis's defense is a great option to hit stride with offensively and uh the last thing here's the narrative throw in at the back end if you want to buy it, but Cincinnati lost back-to-back weeks last year in the final minute, I believe, to Memphis, both to close the season and in the AAC title game. Um, so that's kind of in the back. Oh, of the so mind. they're with revenge. Du- they got that double, 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 double super star super revenge. Super double yeah. secret revenge. It happens, I looked in my database, like once every 24 years, you get double superstar revenge. So. <laughs> Wait, how do teams do off of double superstar revenge? <laughs> you realize, it was, by I the think way, it was like 0-1 lifetime. Yeah. For the okay. record, you realize, by the way, that's also a full moon because it's Halloween, which happens to fall, fall on a full moon. So how many times has there been double revenge on, on a full oh, moon? Full moon. Yeah, that, that is one. Halloween. I'm guessing zero sample size. You don't know that, Rufus. Your data uh, set is... I would bet you. <laughs> All right. How are you going to solve that bet? I don't know. We're going to look uh, at this database. How about Texas and Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State's minus three and a half against Texas. I think if that line had come out at the beginning of the year, wouldn't Texas have been favored? Yes, definitely slight favorite instead of this underdog role. I'm pretty sure Rufus and I agree on this one. I bet Texas. I think he did as well. Yeah, I like Texas. I make them a 2.9 point favorite. Actually, with with no prior, I'd make the game pick. I still wouldn't make Oklahoma State a favorite. So, go figure. Is Oklahoma State good? Because last yeah. week we had them. We had uh, Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State in the second half. Uh, against it was them. It, for as much complaining as I did last week, because it was one of like the two games I won. It was a fairly lucky cover. Oklahoma State was so good defensively against the Cyclones. The first touchdown Iowa State scored to go up seven zero was on a fluky like double tap interception that they ended up scoring like two plays later. Was it a quadruple um, doink? It was not quite a quadruple doing, although I could do an entire podcast on that if we wanted to on another time. <laughs> you know what? Uh, you should actually reunite us because I had um, MTSU in the second half. Rufus had Rice minus oh, three. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't I believe that, that I was about to lose that game. And then all of a sudden, somehow I, I ended up winning that game. And Rufus It was a one in a billion or something. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Yeah. And Rufus I had the parlay better. with the, would there be a quadruple doing field goal that doesn't go in. So. Well done. Uh, I was just going to say real quick to finish this game. Brees Hall, he broke a touchdown off for 70 yards. And then the only other time Iowa State scored 
was when Oklahoma State was sitting in prevent with a minute and a half left, up 10. And that's why they backdoored and it landed three. But before that drive, they had held, they held Brock Purdy to 10 of 24 for 105 yards. They pressured him nearly every time he dropped back. Um, so the Oklahoma State defense, I think, is a real thing. We've even, you know, we saw it against, say, Tulsa in the opener. Um, the problem is their offense hasn't been very good. Part of it being Spencer Sanders got hurt. He's still working his way back from injury. Um, the thing for me, though, is that they get pressure, and it's been the reason for their success. And Texas has, like, the perfect counter in Sam Ellinger, who will absolutely run the ball uh, intentionally as far as designed run calls for the quarterback, but also just being able to scramble out of pressure and make plays. Um, so I just think it's a different, completely different, like, breed of offense that Oklahoma State just hasn't seen yet. And there's a chance that their numbers and underlying metrics defensively are a little fraudulent because of not only – um, the strength of schedule defensively they faced, but uh, just kind of contextually the way that those teams play that they've faced so far as well. So I like Texas quite a bit, and I think their defense, they had to implement a new scheme defensively themselves, Texas did, and took them a few weeks to get going, but they were really impressive against Baylor. Um, I think they were up 24-0, like mid-fourth quarter. Like Baylor didn't even score until uh, two touchdowns, kind of garbage time down the stretch. Rufus, any college that you'd like to talk about? Otherwise, I can keep poking and prodding Cheetah on a couple college games. I mean, I'd say keep poking and prodding. I have a list of what we got down. Um, but Just throw one out there. Just throw one out Did there. you guys end up playing – did you play Baylor at all, Ruth? Do you know if you played Baylor? Look, is it, uh, oh, God. I think we only got two dimes at the number we wanted. So, uh, not really. Yeah. Some of these, it's like – some of these we get full and some we don't, like, get at all with the number we want. And – they basically aren't played, and that's a case. How, how about the cheetah, the cheetah team this year, which is Virginia Tech? They're now minus three and a half. Yeah, yeah. minus yeah. one hundred three. Basically, three and a half flat. Um, Rufus, where do you lie on that one? Um, I make it minus three point nine. Got it. So I'm right in line with the market. And I was high on I was high on Virginia Tech during the well early because of the COVID stuff and didn't play it because uh, when they were missing a gazillion and a half. Yeah. And All now, right, I got I got one that I bet you guys are against each other. Okay. Indiana minus ten against Rutgers. I bet Rufus is on Rutgers and Cheetahs on Indiana. I, I I don't think I know what Rufus played there if at all. I don't have a play. I made the I made the line eight and didn't play anything. So you... I, I I like Indiana quite a bit, yeah. So but you know that line's down to ten, it's right? Down to ten. I I actually added more today. If you want to follow me, uh, I didn't send it to anybody, but I bet more at minus ten. So because uh, I took a worse number earlier, the the Michigan State Rutgers game is so weird because that so that Rutgers line, and I know this is one of Rufus's plays last week, yeah. plus thirteen, plus twelve and a half. Like I think you bet it all the way down to plus eleven. Closed like nine. They went out right. Um, when you go back through though, and, and Michigan State's going to be really bad. By the way, that's another one against Michigan that like you have to suck it up. But I actually took Michigan State side on the points. Uh, it's an extremely high number. But uh, Michigan State Rutgers, Michigan State. If you count turnovers on downs, they turned it over nine times in that game. They outgained them in yards per play. I think the Rutgers only averaged like three and a half yards per play. But they were just given so many spots on Michigan State turnovers that they just ended up converting these to points. Like the Rutgers probably, I don't know if Rivers is still doing game grades for college or not. I don't know if he is or not. But if you are, I would bet my life Rutgers graded worse than Michigan State despite losing outright from home. Like this is such a sweet spot now that everyone's like, oh, maybe the Rutgers are actually good because they have this new – 
I don't know the names as well anymore, but with coaches, but they have a whole new design scheme and regime. Greg Schiano? Is it Greg Schiano? And it might be. You might be right. So if, if they're just suddenly this thing, which it could be, they're going to be improved. Uh, everyone's going to be rushing to back them. And I'll tell you why I ended up betting a worse number. Uh, I told a few people I was talking with Sunday, I said, oh, everyone's going to bet Rockers again. It got like the market loved them last week. Then they went out right. There's no point in rushing. And somebody either intent, like unintentionally or did it as a setup, uh, steamed it from like 10 and a half, 11 to th- like 12 and a half, 13. And uh, I think, I think it should be like 16. I'm like way different from Rufus in this game. So uh, that's why I liked it at the earlier number. Now that it's at 10, I like even a bigger edge, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see if where this actually closes. But I just think Indiana was also like, pretty good against Penn state, you know, outside of Clifford being able to run the ball, which is where Penn state killed him on the ground game with a quarterback that's mobile. Uh, I'll tell you this Rutgers doesn't have a quarterback that's mobile. Um, I, I think Indiana will settle in and it's not one of those like flat spots because of the crazy overtime win where you have to fade Indiana. I think that's an incorrect way to look at it. By the way, I still had, um, I, I still had Rutgers graded higher than Michigan state, but part of that's because that doesn't mean that they played better than Michigan state. It means, they played better um, relative well, to who they played. Exactly. Which <laughs> yeah. is, it seems like. That's true. I forgot you. Yeah. Right. It's considering how we, well, how we, how good we expected Michigan state to be going into the season and how we expected Rutgers to be going. I think I bet my life though, that you would be opposite. So that might be it for me. I You're done. That. You're dead. I think that was it. Yeah. I lost that. That's kind of sad. I mean, here's it's kind of sad. Here's you finally one that made I, it to Southern California and you're going to have to die. I know. I got a couple months. I'll, I'll say one that I think is interesting that I don't think Rufus ended up touching, but the Auburn LSU line, man, Auburn, this is a great one to just discuss and then we can move on to NFL if you guys want. But like Auburn has been the flukiest and luckiest team. Like they absolutely could be 0 and 5. And I think they're either 4 and 1 or 3 and 2. But specifically that Arkansas game where Bonix turns and spikes it backwards for a fumble and they don't call it and they like review it, but don't actually give it to it. It was the strangest thing. Then Auburn gets to kick a field goal to win. Arkansas should have won that game. Then the Ole Miss game where it hits the air, the returner bounces off him and Ole Miss recovers a fumble in the end zone with like four minutes left in the fourth. Would have put him up eight and said Auburn gets to go down and score. And, and they went like Auburn's just come away with these. They still, the last team on earth that I wanted to bet on this week was Auburn, but somehow they're plus three against an LSU team that still just gave up 45 to Missouri, 44 to Mississippi State. But they're on their backup quarterback as a freshman in T.J. Finley, who showed out against South Carolina last week. He threw, like, dink and dunk all over the place. He was 17 for 21, and, they like, the score was great. I don't know if the final was 42 to 14, something like that. And so now all of a sudden LSU is in this kid's first road start against a defense that's actually still pretty respectable in Auburn's. South Carolina is not so much he's laying three. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe this line. I think it should be like a dead pick. And if not Auburn, maybe slight favorite. I think I was like a slight favorite on Auburn side. So I actually ended up regrettably betting Auburn plus three. I'm not sure what Rufus's numbers are. He's usually pro Auburn, but uh, he also been, is pro LSU. I've been pro LSU too, but I make it LSU minus 1.1. 1. 1. So there's actually three and a halves that were out for a while today at like minus 112 to 116, I think is what I filled at. But uh, three is still a great number for people that are listening. I just, I had to do it. It's ugly. It's that and Michigan state, are like the two, like I hate myself plays this week, but I, I had to just trust the numbers and hopefully they work out again. You, so you bet Auburn, but you didn't, I, you, I don't think you sent Auburn out to the, the crew. Oh, you just, I got it. Not completely 
available quite yet. Got it. Who's, who's the crew? It's the it's the people that just follow. I can, I can add you to my thread if you want. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I can add you in. It's just people and friends that want to get my stuff when I bet it, or with that people and his friends that want to lose every week. Those yes, the- for the three of the last four weeks and two really bad ones. Actually, it really was four weeks ago was the worst week I've ever had, and then last week was the second worst week I've ever had. What, what was your record last week? Uh, like four and ten or four and eleven, but one of the wins was a half buyback at halftime in the Auburn Ole Miss game. Um, so it was more like it felt like three and a half instead of four. <laughs> but who's All right, let's move on to the NFL. Um, Cheetah, you tweeted out. We had talked about this, and it's been a subject on the podcast. Ed Teach and I got into this. Mm, um, yeah. Are we? Is it definitive now that the key to the Patriots' success throughout the last twenty years was pretty much Brady and not Belichick? What do we think? <laughs> no, it's not definitive. You know, I, I heard this earlier today because I try to listen to as much information as possible, betting and non-betting related. And I don't remember who it was, so I wish I could give him a shout out. But they were just pointing out that after not only Tom Brady leaving and other pieces leaving in free agency, then you had all the opt-outs, especially on the defensive side of the ball that hurt you guys. And you just were going to be a weaker roster anyway. They were like going through, if you looked at the rosters on paper, it's at least a bottom five roster in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. This this season. If not like bottom three, they started talking teams like who compare. And so like if Belichick, I mean, the whole COVID thing with Cam was weird because he looked great. And now he just like looks completely lost. Like, I don't know if that's playing a factor and if he's just not a hundred percent, it's really hard to really gauge that type of thing. But you can't say Belichick's like a total lost cause. And it was all Tom Brady because he has his worst roster. He's probably had like, you know, in whatever a decade and a half and yeah, they're losing games, but um, they've also won a couple. And if they end up finishing six and 10 or seven and nine with a bottom five roster, like wouldn't that would, that would be plus for Belichick, even though it doesn't look as good because Tom Brady's leading the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's definitive at all. I credit Tom Brady and especially the defense, which is – I think they're number one in, like, all the great – Well, Brady, Brady has for sure looked really a lot better than he did early in the season. Um, it'll be interesting when he plays against a team with, like, a, a, a big-time pass rush to see uh-huh. how he's able to deal with that because – um, but I, I think the Patriots, like, I, I honestly, as a fan, and it, I just don't really know what to make of it because last week I went into that week thinking to myself, like, okay, this is the test, right? Like, this is the game that in the Belichick slash Brady era, like, everyone's given up on the Patriots and they come in in a situation where no one expects anything from them. And that line was bet down from, what, three and a half to one and a half, got bet back up to three when it was announced some of the offensive linemen would be back and whatever. But I texted you guys at halftime, and what did I say to you? I said, there's no chance the Patriots outscore the, the Niners in the you second half. You could half. get like, plus I, money on a 49ers plus three. I had already – yeah, I took the 49ers. Well, you pulled the, to the side of the road just because you, you were interested in my, my like, observational bias that I'd put in there. And honestly, like when you sent that to me, I was like, almost like, oh man, I should bet on the Patriots because I'm a fan and I need to root with this because Rufus is on it. But like, there was zero, they look as bad as I've ever seen a Patriots team look, both on Bill both sides of the ball. Do you think he's kind of losing the team or that like Patriots way? I heard of some other people talking about that a little bit no. earlier this week. 
or are they just that bad? But he just looks like the players, like you said, they they were more lackadaisical and like they just didn't well, care. I, I mean, ultimately, so if they trade Gilmore, I don't know if they're trading Gilmore uh, or not, if that's announced. The house rumor, yeah. If they end up trading Gilmore, he's planning for the future, right? And so then it'll be interesting to see, like in the last 20 years, that's never happened. If they don't trade Gilmore and they go into this uh, Bills game and they lie down, yeah, I think this season is done for sure. And we'll see what happens. But like, there's a world where Belichick fundamentally believes that all he needs to do is win all the division games, right? Mm. Which, which is what, you know, he hasn't lost divisional game yet, right? He's lost. He's he's won. He won the Miami game, right? And he's gonna he's gonna get the Jets twice. He's gonna get the the Dolphins another time, and he's get the Bills twice. And if he wins all those games, that's eight wins, right? And then how many more games does he need to win outside of his conference to actually, you know, win the division, win the win the conference? So if that's the, the case, are, are they like are they really punting games that you know there are essential coin flips? you know, give or take a few percent. I'm not saying, I mean, listen, Belichick is again. And, and for me personally, I, 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 I pay a lot of, I I give him a lot of slack and maybe that's like a complete bias as a fan, Uh but like I've always fundamentally believed that the way that he's been able to take, because the, the talent that what, what they've been able to do for 20 years, right is either a testament to like Tom Brady being that much better than every other quarterback out there that he can elevate rosters to a whole new level that no one else can, or it's a function that Belichick and his coaches and his system are able to take mediocre talent and make the most of it. Right. And I'm inclined to think it's the latter given the time frame of what, you know, people say now like, Oh, well, Belichick is the GM and he's got a shitty roster with that much not much but he's never there's been very few times where he's had a lot of talent right the only year that he had a lot of offensive skill position talent was the year they almost went 18 and 19 and 0 right yeah that's fair all right i mean it's not like that defense didn't have talent they just had so many people opt out due to covid right they did previously yeah you mean this year when they lost all of their linebackers right Yep. Which was the sort of heart and soul of their team last year, right? They lost Collins, Hightower, Van Noy. Like it was, it, they lost a lot there, right? Let me ask you one more question as far as like the fandom goes, because I'm just curious. I've asked a few people this uh, that I know are Patriots. Does it hurt at all watching Tom Brady succeed in Tampa Bay at 103 years old? I mean, no. I mean, for me, not like I, I had, you had to of, think about it for a second. Yes. You, you had to think I mean, about it. No, no, of course I did. Cause it's a, it's a real question. Right. And like, ultimately the challenge that I have with Brady is I think that, you know, as good as he was and as how amazing he was and, and the results that he produced, he was not like, he was very workmanlike very business-like it wasn't like watching like kobe splash threes all over the place where you're just like or watching some amazing athlete that you're just like this is you're watching very workmanlike performances often and so the results were amazing don't get me wrong like i would never shit on what brady did like he is amazing people say he's the goat i would not be like okay how about this in all-time history 
you can pick one quarterback to win a game for you at his at his high point. Would you pick? Would you guys pick Brady? Patrick Mahomes. Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough no, question. But I don't think I'm I would, not. I'm not very good historically in the NFL. Like, but my point is, like, I don't think I would. Back. I don't think I would pick Brady. Even in his heyday, I don't think I would pick Brady. Yeah. Okay. Because I want a quarterback that can make plays when shit is breaking down. Like, I want like you said, Mahomes, but like Mahomes is like shit we've never seen before in many yeah. in many ways, and like. Russ was terrible on Sunday night, so he might be like subject to recency bias on Russ. But Russ is the stuff that he can do is insane, right? When Aaron Rodgers was in his prime, he could do things that Brady could never have done, you know. And it's yeah, like that's fair. I when you get back to this whole idea of like, so I feel much worse watching Mookie, you know, as a Red Sox fan, do what he mm. does for the Dodgers. Then I care about Brady because Brady is at the end of his career. If he wins another Super Bowl, God bless his soul. He was not going to win a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Like, why would I begrudge him for that? Yeah. Like, go pick the best situation for yourself. Like, go take the best. Like, the, the whole thing when Brady went there that was totally underplayed was how good that defense was, right? That defense was a really good defense last year towards the end of the year. And now it's a top defense, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I think a lot of people are generally offended he left and wanted him to just be, you know, true and through, always a Patriot. And, I mean, I think they can have that opinion too, but I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. All right, let's go through the NFL. I'll give you guys some of my plays, and you can tell, that, tell me how dumb they are like we typically do. Um, I hope you're on one because then I'll add it because I'm on the fence. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm on one that you're on. I'm, I'm on the Ravens, uh, minus okay. three and a half. Now it's minus four, uh, like 105, minus 105. So that's when we agree. Rufus, where do you weigh out on that? I make it minus 4.3. So you're basically no value. Yeah. Um, we like the Cowboys, but that's primarily because we probably underweight that quarterbacking difference. But that's already gone up to plus nine. Is there a line? Okay. Oh, finally, there's a line now. There hadn't been until today. So, what do you say, Rufus? I make it minus 10. I literally have the Cowboys as the worst team in football right now. Wow. Well, we know it's not the Jets, so that makes sense. Whatever, it's quarterback. Someone Actually, someone asked me earlier, I'm not sure if you can funnel this out really quickly. I said if Andy Dalton was playing, he asked me what they would be against the Jets on a neutral field. They'd be pretty Dalton. Yeah, and I had it like four and a half, but I know you're a lot higher on the Jets than the normal person. I don't know. Probably like two and a half, three, maybe. I didn't. Is he old? Is he white? Is he an old white quarterback? Then Rufus likes him. (laughs) Okay, so uh, how about uh, we like Rufus? Probably likes this too. The Saints minus the four. Um, I haven't played it yet. Actually, I make it minus six point six. But yeah. Okay. Um. We like the Seahawks minus the two and a half. That's the one. It's down to two and a half now. It was yeah. three and a half. Why is this two and a half? They're also getting healthier on the defensive line, and they're already pretty good against I the I think rush. people I just think that the I, Seahawks, after last week, their defense is just horrid. They're just that bad. I, I think they step back. I like, I like the under 54, too. I like both. I've just been waiting to see if this really gets to a flat two and a half, but I'll be on Seattle. No, I already, we already batted at two and a half. So You bet Seattle? Yes. I took San Francisco plus three and a half. 
Oh, well, a, good. Lot, a lot of can, people. Can you, can, Rufus, can you add more so we can get a better number? Try. Yeah, can, can you grab some plus two and a half real quick? <laughs> no, we want him to – oh, yeah, we want him to bet two and a plus two and a half. Sorry, math is hard for me. Uh, we actually like the Packers minus the seven. Ugh, no. I like Minnesota plus seven there. That, that's okay. a game that's basically the difference between – like, that, that's yeah. sort of priors waiting it a little bit still. Yeah. That makes sense. I make it five. I don't have a huge edge there, but I took it, a, took it early. Plus seven reduced. Oh, we like, you guys um, have a thought on Tua and the Miami Dolphins. Now definitely have a thought. Yeah, Rufus doesn't like him because he's a rookie quarterback. Yeah, well. He would rather to, see Fitzpatrick. Do you know Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? So he'd rather Fitzpatrick. A lot of people don't realize he did. He did go to Harvard. He, he went to Harvard. He what went to the H-bomb. Is that a – what's that? Is that like a restaurant? No, there's – well, you guys don't watch The Bachelor, but there was – Are you kidding guy. me? I invented Fantasy Bachelor like 11 no. years ago. So that you, you watched this year when the douchebag from Harvard's like – and then you dropped the H-bomb. H-bomb, yeah. And, yeah, okay. Okay, Harvard. Barely Honestly, an what's interesting to me there is the fact that, like, Fitzpatrick is a super high-variance quarterback, and it seems like if I was running a team and, like, I would insert him when I'm behind and when I need, when I need like – that gunslinger mentality and they're playing it, you know, they're playing a Rams team. That's one of the best teams in football. Um, I mean, I think, I, really, I, I think they're, they're in the, they're not the, they're not in the top like three or anything, but they're, they're up there. And so Do you have the Rams on Monday night roof. Um, I leaned that way. I didn't have a bet though. Okay. My last play for you guys is that we like the Cleveland Browns. Minus the two and a half. About Tua. So, You're like, yeah, you no, yeah, no, no, I'm curious what you think about it, this whole thing. Sorry, guys. This is why everyone okay. hates me because I interrupt too much. Okay, you just don't listen. It's okay. I mean, most of the time I'm not worth listening to, so I, I don't blame you. But maybe I am this time. But well, in this case, you're like talking about Tua, which I know you haven't modeled him individually as a quarterback. I think you would generally perceive him on average to be worse than this year's version of Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? In his first start, I think, yes. Yes, yes, of right. course. In his first right. start, it doesn't – even if he was the first overall pick, he's the number two overall pick, but, you know – So generally we know what you're going to say before you say it is the issue. Sorry? Generally ahead, we know go what you're going to say before you say it is the well, issue. But, but what I was going to say with this actually is the fact that Fitzpatrick you, – you want Fitzpatrick playing the games when he's an underdog, when you're playing a good team. And I feel like you'd want two – like two is going to be a lower variance guy. Um You'd almost what you'd want Tua in the games when you're playing the Jets, when you just don't want those big mistakes. Because Fitzpatrick, it doesn't really matter. He's just gonna, he's he's gonna throw the yeah. ball around. And this new Rams defense there. is pretty uh, good. There's a bit a nice article written this week. Forget by who, talking about the Brandon Staley hire and kind of bringing the young collegiate style defense to the NFL and how it's working for the Rams and how this like notion that if you only have a certain amount of people in the box, you should be able to always stop the run. And as long as you, you know, make sure you have X amount of numbers. I, it's a really complicated article that people should read. I cannot explain it nearly as well. So, um, Google around for it. But the Rams defense might, like, be a real thing. And so I'm interested to see how to a response because it's, they could be a top three to five D at the end of the season. So do you guys think that this decision was made with this year in mind or with, like, the bigger picture in mind? It had to be bigger picture. Bigger picture. Yeah. Which is weird because they're three and three. Did you know they have, like, the sixth best point differential in the NFL? They're like plus 47. Yeah, and the Patriots beat them. So, for the record, the Patriots so beat them. So. Belichick over Brady. Yeah, Belichick over Brady. It's definitive. Okay, I gave – oh, and we also like the Browns minus the two and a half against the Las Vegas Raiders. 
So I don't know what you guys make that. There's a bunch of weather in that game. I know the totals dropped a ton, but I don't have anything otherwise. Nothing there. Okay. Roof, uh, Cheetah. Cheetah, I know you're only down on one NFL game so far, at least as far as you've shared with us. Is there anything else that pops out at you guys that you're watching? I I did bet. I I wrote an article on it, but I didn't. uh, There wasn't a ton of 51s left. I bet under in Indianapolis, Detroit. I still think 50 is a fair bet under. Uh, but slightly 51 is obviously a fairly key number in that range for a total. Uh, then I'm definitely adding Seattle and I'll probably have some under 54 there as well. And then there was one more. Let me, Oh, the, the, uh, the Broncos. I know like everyone loves Justin Herbert now. Why are the Broncos almost three and a half now at home? I don't know. After closing seven to the chiefs. I had plus three when it like on Monday, there was my big, biggest play. And I I can get plus money now on threes and I'll definitely be on Denver. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting bad line movement there. I, I think you're okay in the end, but like, they had one bad showing against the best team and the, won the Super Bowl, and Herbert does well against the Jaguars, who everyone expected to be historically bad this season. And I think everyone bet the Broncos from nine and a half, ten down to seven. It was even six and a half some spots Sunday morning. That one just that blows my mind that you can get. You may, you may be talking to people that were on the Jaguars, Preston. So if you could that not rub bit, it in our know. face and keep rubbing salt in her wounds that'd be kind of nice was it a final of eight is that what it landed i don't recall i did not have action on no that. it landed 10 then oh i got the 10, that was 10. Hard, that was and we actually added more in the second half i don't know if you did rufus also but we took more in the second half you took jack second half yeah plus four there was it was that was an adjusted line of plus six i almost didn't want to bet it but i was like Ugh, god damn it and so we bet it i had i had some plus 10 I don't know if that was a look ahead or not. I got plus 10 plus. No, you got it early because you and I talked about it last week and you bet it all the way down and, and we got your scraps as usual, which is just, (laughs) it's really a a tough existence. Uh, What do you make the jets this week? People 18.6, Are you going to be on the jets then roof? You're going to be at 19, right? Or you already are. We took a little plus 21 look ahead last week. We'll probably take a little bit. Let's, I'm going to see where it goes. I'm not, I'm not anxious to bet it right now. It's a little, little money line. Definitely All right. Last thing, because no. we've talked about this. So for all we've said about the Patriots being terrible, which really they, have looked, the Patriots. they have looked beyond terrible the last two weeks, I've watched both of those games. But they looked good early in the season. Okay, so three and a half. Doesn't that seem short? I make it four, so a little bit short, maybe. But. I, I bet I bet some minus three and a half uh, plus money like Sunday night, and if it gets to three, I guess a full fledged play on Buffalo for me for sure. I still think three and a half short too. Uh, let me ask you one question. I know we're trying to finish this, and Rufus does have a date to get to. Is is this just like the stone nuts angle where if the Patriots are trying to play from behind, they can't because they can't throw receivers can't get open, and you just like your San Francisco read at halftime essentially. And you just keep piling on live against them. But the, the games they did perform well, outside of Seattle was maybe the outlier where they were a little more back and forth. But it's when they were able to run the ball, Cam Newton does his thing, slow the game down, and then they're tough to come back against. But if, like, the Bills score first or it's, like, 10-0, I just don't know how the Patriots ever get back in that game. So I mean, I'll I probably think, be I think, trading. I, I think this game is, like, the definitive moment because if you believe that there's any possum going on or whatever and, like, there's a focus on on the divisional games, which traditionally they've always performed really well in. 
Because they're like, in a shitty division for so many years. Right, but the, the, fine. But, like, they've definitely taken advantage of that too, right? Yeah. They've, they've, they've won, and they've, they've, they've done their business against those teams. And when they've lost, they've typically been teams that are out of division, out of conference, right? And they haven't lost a lot of in-division ga- in division games until last year when they lost that last Miami game, which was just Brutal. ridiculous, right? But at that point, they'd already t- technically won the division. It was a matter of still having home field. So I don't know. The, to so me, are you going to bet the Bills then? Because you brought it up. Do you guys like them as from, from a numbers perspective? No, we, we don't. And okay. I honestly, like, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it because from an eye test perspective, the last two weeks, it's, it's, been, it's been really bad. They've been a really bad team. And it's not even – it's not one of those moments where – like, after the, the Chiefs game, I was very hopeful and cause, because I felt like their defense was pretty I agree. good. Yeah. Yeah, and I felt like if they had just got the cam from the first two weeks of the season back, they probably could be a reasonable team this year, right? Like, I felt pretty good about it. That Denver game was just all kinds of weird because of everything that happened leading up to it. But, like, last week, there was really no excuse for, for that, like, shittiest showing against the mm-hmm. Niners team. So, but, like, the, the line movement in that game, it, like, everything that happened in that game, like, made me worry about the situation for the Patriots. So, I, I don't know. Like, I really honestly don't know. Like, as a fan and as someone that knows the team, would I, would I be surprised if the Patriots come out and win that game? Yes, but would I be like surprised to the point where I like couldn't believe it? No. Would I be surprised if they got blown out in that game? Absolutely not. I would. I would actually. I kind of start betting that. some alt lines. Sounds like yeah. what you're. I mean, that that sounds like any game with the spread of three and a half, though. <laughs> not really, though, right? Because what I'm saying is, I I wouldn't be surprised if they got blown out. Would You're you saying like it's basically an even spread, so either either outcome would be make sense. Would you be surprised if New Orleans blew out Chicago? Mm, no. No. Would you be surprised if Chicago won? Yes. Really surprised or just a little surprised? I would be pretty surprised given everything that seems like that's going on between Foles and Nagy right now. I mean, like, so – Chicago has a good defense, right? So I guess maybe I shouldn't be that surprised. And New Orleans has looked very challenged at moments this year. So yeah, fine, fine. Your point is well taken. I want to say this though. Here's the thing though, Rufus. Regarding the Patriots really quickly before we go. I just want to say that early in the season, I was saying that my number on the Patriots was probably lower than it should be because I'm not, I'm still probably weighing the prior too much. And given the fact that like, you know, Cam Newton wasn't the same player last year. And yeah, it was, I remember that. Right. I was basically saying that, you know, I mean, and, and now based on two games, we're basically everybody's going the other direction saying, oh, the Patriots are so bad. The Patriots are so bad. Like, I think what they are is something in between how good they were and how bad they've been. Like, it's, I don't think, I don't think you throw out everything that's happened before. And, it, you know, I don't think, I mean, unless Cam is playing with some injury that we don't know, and Jeff seems to think maybe or he's still dealing with COVID, but if that, if he's still dealing with COVID, like, and isn't back to full strength, it's probably going to be back to full strength soon. We'd hope. Do you know where off the top of your head, where you rank the Patriots just relative to the league, like 15th, 16th, 17th best. Are they still top half? Um, 
They are. You never gone to MasseyPeabody.com, Preston, because you could <laughs> actually figure this out. It's been a couple stuff. hours. They're, they're negative. They're a tenth of a point worse than average. So that's still okay. top half, believe it or not, by a little bit. But I'm 15th. I just was curious where you had him. 15th, but but slightly. My, my, below I think Rufus. So back to the back to the original question you asked me. I think I. I think that my uh, distribution of outcomes for that Bills game, for a game that's three and a half, skews way more towards a Bills blowout than I would think of in a normal three and a half point game. Okay. That, that, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, and it may be like availability heuristic and like recency bias where like I can imagine how bad they looked against the Niners and I can imagine them playing that way again. Um, and a part of it is like we just don't really know how good the Bills are at the at the core, right? Like they they yeah, but they, they couldn't score a touchdown against the Jets. That's something, right? Six field goals, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, well, we'll see what happens. Rufus, go to your date. We'll do. Okay. Yeah. Preston, thanks, thanks for having for me on, guys. Awesome. Congratulations yeah. on the Dodgers. God bless. I appreciate it. Take it easy, guys. All the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of leaded.